You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. This is Ashley, and today I'm joined by Caitlin Glover. Caitlin is the executive director of the Public Lands Council and the executive director of the Natural Resources Portfolio at NCBA. Caitlin, happy to have you on the podcast today. Ashley, I would I would say that I'm happy to be back, but I think we're talking about a really challenging issue today. So uh, uh, it's always good to be talking to you, but but we we have some tough ground to cover today. You know, I was just about to say the same thing. I love when you're on the podcast, but quite frankly, not under these circumstances because you know we've been talking about it a lot lately at NCBA, but. A U.S. District Court judge just ruled to remand and vacate a ruling that the Trump administration made in 2020. And the announcement that the Trump administration made that we applauded, that we had worked with them on, um, was to delist the gray wolf species from the Endangered Species Act, from having protections under the ESA. And the science points to that that was the right call. Um, The data that we have points to that was the right call. But for some reason, there's still animal activist groups out there that are saying that wasn't the right call. So just a little background here for our listeners. You know, since being listed under the ESA in 1974, the gray wolf population has seen tremendous recovery, exceeding recovery goals by about 300 percent. So why with all of that do we still see groups fighting to list them under the ESA and and have them protected under that? You know, Ashley, I I think that's a great question and one that I I think is is sort of the existential question that I ask myself, why? Why the wolves, why this species, why this mechanism, and why the repeated attacks in, in the court? And, and I think what, what it comes down to is that this isn't about the wolves, right? This isn't about uh, the, making sure that we have biological diversity on the ground, making sure that wildlife, livestock, humans, and other multiple uses can coexist. It, it's not really even about what's best for the ecosystem. It's, it's about being right. And so, you know, when wolves and, and other charismatic big species uh, were, were listed in, in the 1970s and 1980s, I think really what we saw was, was a lot of this was, was based in fear that they would go extinct. For gray wolves that have seen that population recovery, you, you know, that, that ha- the population recovery hasn't just happened, right? The population recovery has been long fought. It has been incremental steps, investments made by federal agencies, by states, but also by people like farmers and ranchers. And I think that there's a huge component of these activist groups just not wanting to let the other side, I'm saying that in in air quotes, the the other side win here, not give them an opportunity to say that not only have we demonstrated recovery success with these cooperative efforts, but also that this recovery warrants return to state management, return to the way wildlife should be managed, and, and that should be managed by the states. So Unfortunately, this is this is a pretty a, a pretty familiar playbook by these groups. Now they've challenged multiple delistings of distinct population segments or DPSs over the years. They use the same playbook here. It, it, it is just a really unfortunate and and really infuriating playbook that they continue to to venue hop in the courts just so that they can be right, and they want to be right at the detriment of of ecosystems in this case 
nationwide. The lower 48 delisting had wide scope. And so we're going to see some, some pretty significant effects nationwide. So you talk about this agenda that a lot of these activist groups have been, you know, working on for years. Can you talk about what NCBA has been doing, you know, while activist groups have been out there um, challenging the science and, and challenging the data? You know, some of these activist groups have been trying to throw roadblocks in in every step of the process, you know, for the last 40 years, trying to make different arguments, trying to to co-opt or, or change the science. But the real hard, honest, good work has been done by folks like NCBA, but also by our members on the ground, working with state wildlife officials, working with even Fish and Wildlife Service officials to create those recovery plans and implement them in a way that you had healthy wolf populations, but also had the regulatory and, and legal space to, to enact those plans. So I think, I think it's, you know, our involvement has really been threefold. In the actual recovery on the ground, the wolf management, the habitat management, the, the, the prey management, and that's a really important piece. Coordinating among a number of our affiliates and a number of our states because ecology and habitat differs. But then at the national level, NCBA has continued to lead coalitions uh, in, in legal matters, in legislative efforts, like we've seen in the Great Lakes and, and in the Northern Rocky Mountains distinct population segments. And, and NCBA has been successful in, in raising not only awareness, but engagement on the Hill and in the agencies for delisting these wolves. And it's not just so that we can, we can tick the box and move on, right? But a key component of the ESA is that once recovery has been met, once you've met those objectives, that success under the ESA also is that delisting component. NCBA, I would argue, is the biggest defender of the ESA process because we, we say that in, this, in, in demonstrating success under the law, we think you have to have success in all areas. For these wolves, we have continued to lead the way to make sure that wolf populations continue to stay recovered, that livestock and, and wildlife producers and managers have the ability to manage problem wolves, but then also making sure that the law is fair and equitable and successful. What we've seen through these court challenges is, is an attack on that ESA, an attack on the good work that our producers have done. And so we continue to lead the charge to make sure that that isn't allowed to stand. So let's talk about that a little bit more in detail. What is our plan moving forward? And Caitlin, I've heard you say many, many times that we're going to pursue every single avenue possible to make sure we have clear rules and, and rules based on science. So can you just talk about, you know, what's in NCBA's playbook right now? Well, well, actually, I mean, you took the words out of, my, out of my mouth, right? Every option is on the table because this is one of those important things. This is about wolves. This is about livestock producers and their calves and their lambs. It's about wildlife, but it's also about this, this balance, this balance of, of cooperative, cooperative federalism that states should manage wildlife. And so that's sort of the big picture, right? NCBA will continue to lead agriculture, wildlife, and resource groups in Washington to, to bring this to a favorable resolution. In practice, what that means is that in this particular case, uh, the case out of the Northern District of California, uh, where we see this unfavorable ruling, right, this remand of the rule, NCBA will continue to, to fight uh, to, to address 
these challenges through through the, the legal means, right? NCBA uh, and a number of other agriculture and natural resource groups uh, formed a coalition to intervene in the case in the lower court. We have active uh, appeals and, and active filings in the Ninth Circuit to continue our involvement in the case. We're actively working with interveners and the government and discussing what those options look like. But we're also in, involved in, in a lot of the other discussions about other challenges to wolf management as well. So we're having to walk and, and chew gum essentially because we have this legal challenge ongoing. But there are also other regulatory efforts, Ashley, that I, I think really need to be part of this conversation. The first is that the Fish and Wildlife Service has announced that they're going to be revisiting three additional Endangered Species Act rulemakings in the coming year. And so NCBA continues to, to lead and develop those robust comments, those coalition comments that come out of our, our ag organizations uh, to make sure that any of the repeal or significant revision of the ESA rules that came out of the last administration uh, can, can, can be managed, right? We, we saw such significant improvements in the last administration in the ESA regulatory space. We want to make sure that we're, we're working to preserve those as, as much as possible. But then there's another wolf-specific issue, and, and, and this is a hard one, because the Fish and Wildlife Service is midway through a process of, of a year-long process of, of review of a petition to list and create a new distinct population segment of wolves in the Western United States. And so this includes wolf populations that have already been delisted, like those in the Northern Rocky Mountain DPS, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and, and, and parts of a few other states. So, so this active petition is, is particularly frustrating because in light of the California decision, what we see is an activist attempt to both undermine delisting nationwide, but then also skirt around the edges and say, all of the populations that are recovered that weren't part of the lower 48 rulemaking, well, those really aren't recovered either. And so, so they're taking a shot uh, at those recovered populations in, in the Northern Rocky Mountain DPS by making it a larger habitat area. And so we have been working with our state affiliates. We've been working with our wildlife groups as well to make sure that they are prepared and we echo and support their feedback that the populations considered in that Western DPS, that proposed DPS, are recovered. They need no further protection or management under the ESA. And that all of these activist challenges essentially are frivolous because we know what's true. And the truth is that these wolf populations are recovered. Creating that durable management strategy, creating that durable regulatory atmosphere, it, it, can, it will continue to be our top priority, even over and above a lot of the legal challenges. But you better believe that we're, we're not scared to go to court either. Well, I think that's you know really good for our listeners to hear because this is a real issue. I think sometimes folks sit in D.C. and and write these rules and don't understand the the real life impacts they have on producers across the country. And so while this is being figured out in D.C., while this is being figured out probably in the courts, um, farmers and ranchers especially in the West, are going to still be facing the aftermath and the consequences of gray wolf attacks. So in the meantime, while these things are happening, we know this is a, a terrible situation when it happens on any ranch, but what are some resources that farmers and ranchers can 
take advantage of um, if something happens on their ranch. So I, I think that that's a great point. And, and, you know, these, these, court rulings, these regulatory issues, they have a real personal impact. You know, when when we talk about a delisting of a gray wolf population, uh, it is both a success of that recovery effort, but it also is a breath of fresh air for producers who have been waiting to be able to work with their states to manage ecosystems around them. These are producers who see these these wolf populations absolutely exploding and very, very successfully, right? And you want to be able to scream that from the rooftops. But what it practically means for them is that they lose 30 lambs in a single night, that they lose 18% of their calf crop in any given year because the pack territory has expanded because there are so many wolves. When you talk to producers like that, you know, you you talk to them and, and you tell them that we are fighting the good fight in Washington. And of course, we will continue to do that. But we also need to have that real immediate resource for them as well. Wildlife services, their state fish and game departments, and even their local state affiliates are those resources. Now, certainly there are are compensation programs for depredation payments. Congress instituted a, a number of those programs at our urging several years ago to make sure that producers who are facing depredation losses, significant losses, and in you know in this sort of interim gray period where a recovered population isn't being managed because of of this legal uncertainty making sure that they have financial and support resources as well you know there are the non-lethal options being able to to put some fence and and have some some assets for for defense of their herds or their flocks but then those monetary incentives are important as well i I think this is a full-featured response and it's a full-featured response for a reason because when ranchers are working to develop the most sustainable products in the world, food and fiber, that high quality protein, they are simultaneously at the front and cutting edge of landscape management, of habitat management, of wildlife management. And when you take one of those pieces away from them, it upsets the, the, the entire balance. Our desire, our work is to make sure that we are maintaining that balance and that ranchers know that they have a resource in NCBA, in their state affiliates, and ultimately they need to be able to trust that the law is going to work for them as well. Well, thanks, Caitlin. We really appreciate you joining the podcast and and sharing all of that information. Thanks, Ashley. And I I hope to bring some better news, especially in this this wolf front in, in the coming days. But in the meantime, producers should know that they have people in Washington. They have groups. They have whole institutions in Washington fighting to make sure that their livestock, their families, their resources, their communities are protected and recognized. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 